0: So, this is the Self-Development with Tactics. Book. So, today we're going to talk about dating. Um, Dating and actually stoicism. Um, I don't actually know why. It kind of just... I don't know. I've seen it and then I thought, well... Let's actually go through it. Um, I'm actually very sorry if I do have to stop sometimes today. I don't have an upset stomach, but I do have some stomach problems. Um, yeah, I don't know why. Actually, um, might be due to the raw zucchini that I've eaten yesterday that also didn't really um, taste that well. But I don't know because the funny the the funny thing is that in the morning I've been working out for one and a half hours, a bit more even, and I had no problems. So so I don't know. But anyway. I'm gonna read that bit. It's, uh, you know, decent, you know, in length. So yeah. And I still have performance issues and I don't know why. I don't know why. Don't know why and I don't know how. Where is my fucking cow? Well, anyway. So what would a stoic do? Dating. Dating is a word I was not familiar with before coming to the United States, especially with the advent of modern dating apps. It essentially means that you are trying out different people to see who wins the alleged honor of being your next partner. Except, of course, that you are playing the same game from the point of view of the other person, as the honor in question better be reciprocal. The dynamics of dating in this modern fashion are different from the traditional approaches, like meeting someone at a party or, Zeus forbid, approaching a random stranger at a par, at a par, yeah, at a bar. And I have done enough app meditating what med, what mediated dating to be induced to reflect on a practice from a Stoic perspective. So, how would a Stoic look uh, for a partner after having signed up on OKCupid, eHarmony, and Match.com or Tinder? I'm going to suggest three lenses, so to speak, through which to examine the question. The concept of preferred indifference, the dichotomy of control, and the four cardinal virtues. I think they are best considered in that sequence if we want to get clear on how a stoic should enter the dating game. Or the first one, a partner is a preferred indifferent. Please don't put things this way to your date, as it really doesn't sound romantic, and it is a labile what, and it is labile to be seriously misunderstood if the other person is not a proficient, what, uh, proficiency Okay, as Seneca calls a student of Stoicism, preferred and uh, this preferred indifference, of course, include anything that is not concerned with the improvement of our character and our judgments. For example, anything that does not have indirectly or directly to do with virtue. But virtue makes no sense unless it is exercised in a particular context or situation. One cannot be courteous, or courageous, without doing anything, or temperate, without moderating herself at something specific, and so on. Which means that even though being with a partner is in itself a preferred indifferent, it is nonetheless a very intimate interaction with other human being, an interaction that therefore offers countless opportunities to exercise virtue. On this you also my post on relationships and by the way, maybe I actually want to go through this maybe I actually want to go through this one. You know? Because dating per se Not that interesting, I gotta have to say. Stoicism and relationships, three models. I still have so severe performance issues and my tummy is like just, I don't know. But it pisses me off There's something that I can guarantee you. Maybe I should just talk about something. Well, I'm going to talk about the relationship part. It's not going to be about dating, but yeah. So for a variety of reasons, I've been thinking of relationships of late. From a Stoic perspective, in a part, this has been spurred by my reading of Liz Glion's superb The Ethics of the Family in Seneca, uh, regarding which I am running a multiple-part commentary. I recently also ran one of my Stoic School of Life meetups in New York, in which we discussed the function of role models in Stoic moral development. So, why not combine the two? Thus, Stoic law provides us with examples of relationship we could reflect on, and Perhaps even use as a guidance. As it turns out, it does, and I have picked three in particular to discuss here. Before we get started, however, a due caveat, all three examples are, not surprisingly, of heterosexual relationships, where the man is the philosopher and the woman is the partner. Well Actually, in one, both of them are philosophers. But I suggest that this is an irrelevant detail that reflects the culture of Greco-Roman times, and not anything inherent in Stoicism. So below, feel free to imagine the three cases as reversed. Um, yeah. For example, still heterosexual, but with male and female roles switched. Or as instances of non-heterosexual couples, it could also work. It really doesn't matter, the same lesson can be learned and be same, and the same principles apply. Case Study One: Socrates and Xanthippe, or something. I don't know. Socrates is a Stoic role model par excellence, and the Stoics explicitly declared their philosophy to be Socratic. He was famously married to Xanthippe, or whatever, who was much younger than he, possibly as much as forty years. She gave him three gave him three sons: uh, Lemprocles, uh, Sophronis, Sophroniscus. And Menexenus. It is likely that she was from a family of highest social status, and Socrates based both on the root of her name Hippo for horse, a common feature of Athenian aristocratic names, and, the, and that their first son was not named Sophroniscus after Socrates' father, and was not named. Okay, anyway. Uh, Xanthippe, according to multiple sources, had a temper and that was why Socrates liked her. In a class, classic Stoic story, they had a fight and Socrates left the home, but Xanthippe was not done yet and poured the content of a chamber pot on his head. Socrates' comment was, after thunder comes the rain. Uh, Xanthippe is mentioned both in Plato's uh, Paedo and in Xenophon's uh, Memorabilia and Symposium, and in these sources as she is portrayed as a devoted mother and wife. In the Symposium, Antisthenes, later uh, the founder of cynicism, a student of Socrates claims that she is the hardest to get along with of all the women there are. Socrates concures but adds, concurs but adds It is the example of the rider who wishes to become an expert horseman. None of your soft-mouthed, docile animals for me, he says. The horse for me to own must show some spirit in the belief, no doubt. If he can manage such an animal, it will be easily enough to deal with every other horse besides. And that is just my case. I wish to deal with human beings to associate with man in general. Hence my choice of wife. I know full well. If I can tolerate her spirit, I can with ease Attach myself to every human being else. Uh, pretty interesting, though. In other words, Socrates and Xanthippe, despite all odds, had a successful relationship, and uh, part of it was due to the fact that she was sharp and of strong character, and that Socrates used her as a test of his virtue, specifically of his ability to deal with human beings even when they are very difficult. The message a relationship doesn't have to be perfect to work, and so long as your partner is virtuous, he uh, he is worth sticking with she or he actually I guess. Uh, one can embrace one's partner one's partner difficult character in order to test and improve one's virtue, and apparently age difference don't matter. Differences don't matter. <sighs> I don't know. It's difficult. My personal experience I have had one important relationship that felt relatively similar and it lasted for a good number of years, but in the end I was not enough of a Socrates Tests. I must admit. Well, yeah, I gotta have to say that if it is a very difficult relationship, then it is definitely not cool. I don't know. It's not great. It's not a nice thing to have. So, yeah. Case study number dos. Um, Seneca, actually, and Pompeia Paulina. Pompeia was an educated Roman woman, part of a circle of aristocrats who attempt to live according to ethical principles, presumably inspired by the stoics of her husband, even under the tyranny of Nero. When Seneca was ordered by Nero to commit suicide because he was thought to be uh, implicated in the failed Pisonian conspiracy, Pompeia sought to die together with her husband. Seneca apparently objected, though according to one source she was saved by Nero's guards, since the Emperor didn't think it would be good, would be good publicity for the already troubled regime if she died too. Lisclion, in the book mentioned above, comments that Seneca reasons with her but respects her choice as rational after articulating the opposing side of the argument. He balances the spouse's duty to educate and clarify with respect for Paulina as an autonomous moral agent. Her decision is based upon her evolution of life as an indifferent, and her preference, preference for death that has glory rather than an ignol, ignoble life. Pompeii is also mentioned in the Ira, which is on anger. I think it means, or at anger, something like that. And the portraits and the portrait that emerges is one of a trusted companion who understands the philosopher even in his quirky rituals. Consider this passage where Seneca famously describes the exercise known today as the evening meditation or the philosophical diary. So there's a quote. Uh, what can be more admirable than this fashion of discussion the whole of the day's events? How sweet is the sleep which follows this self-examination? How calm, how sound and careless it is when our spirit has either received praise or repiment, and when our secret inquisitor and censor has made his report about our morals. I make use of this privilege and daily plead my cause before myself. When the lamb is taken out of my sight and my wife, who knows knows my habit, has ceased to talk, I pass the whole day in review before myself and repeat all that I have said and done. I conceal nothing from myself and omit nothing. Why should I be afraid of any of my shortcomings when it is in my power to say, I pardon you this time? See that you never do that anymore. Seneca and Pompeia formed an asymmetric couple, not only because Seneca was a man in Imperial Rome and therefore afforded social privileges close to a woman, but because he was a wor- uh, worldly politician, or politic, polit, voila, whatever, businessman, playwright, and philosopher. That kind of asymmetry is not all unusual even today, and yet he found delight in her. Though occasionally, as Gluyon points out, he had to get away to retreat him, uh, retreat into himself and recover serenity. And she was loyal to the end, literally and supportive, as Gluyon uh, puts it. Seneca sees the ideal marriage as a state of stability that reciprocally leads to virtue. The message. Good relationships don't have to be symmetrical. One can be happy in situations where the two partners are very different and yet have managed to achieve common stability, so long, of course, as there is uh, reciprocal growth through virtue. Of course, you know, without virtue, there is nothing. Whatever. My personal experience i've had two long term relationships that roughly followed this model uh, they ended for different reasons, but I'm still very grateful for the two persons in question for the different but i'm very but I'm still very grateful for uh, two to the two persons in question for the different models of virtue they presented me with, even though at the time I wasn't yet thinking in stoic terms should I yeah the last one let's go through the last one as well. Case study number three, Crates and Hipparchia or whatever. We finally come to my own favorite model of Stoic relationships, Crates or Crates and Hipparchia or whatever, who were both cynics, actually. would cites them as a laudable example and an exception to the general cynic custom of not marrying in order to avoid the obstruction of externals to the cynic mission. The cynics were famous pain in the ass philosophers, Think of them as itinerant monks who knock at your door and ask you why you are not living according to virtue. Yes, but Kratos married, you're referring to a special case in which the marriage was prompted by love, and you're reckoning on a wife who was herself another crates. Hard to imagine higher praise for both the relationship, it was prompted to be to buy love, and for Hi- Hipparchia, who was herself another crates. Hipparchia was from Maroneia, uh, but her family moved to Athens. She was probably attracted to cynicism because her brother, uh, Metroclus, was already a student of Kratz. She in love with Kratz, uh, who was the famous or most famous cynic of the time. He was senor of Settinium's first teacher and significantly older. Both her family and Kratz himself attempted to convince her to give up the idea of marriage to the philosopher, as the life of a cynic was hard and simply... Uh, scandalous from the point of view of a good society. Crates at one point stood in front of her, got rid of his clothes and told her, in an attempt to dissuade her, here is the bridge-groom and this is his property. But Hipparchia was stubborn and in love. She treated to kill herself if she could not marry Kratas and eventually prevailed. She began to wear man's clothes and live with her man in poverty, sleeping in Athens' Stoas and Particus. Cratus referred to their marriage as synogamy uh, or dog coupling, cynic meant dog-like because of the school's adherence lifestyle. Together they practiced a naidia, or shamelessness, including it is said coupling in public. Kratos and Hipparchia had a daughter and a son, which was uh, very unusual for practicing cynics. Also unusually for a cynic and for a woman at the time, Hipparchia wrote books and engaged in correspondence with other philosophers, like Theodorus the Atheist. Unfortunately, none of her writings survive. Or writings survive. Apparently, Theodorus did not appreciate Hipparchia's challenges, and dismissively sad to her. Who is the woman who has left behind the shadows of the loom entirely unfaced? She replied, I, Theodorius, am that person, but do I appear to you to have come to a wrong decision? If I devote the time to philosophy which I otherwise should have spent at the loom, Diontius oh, Lartius. Sen of Sidium, the founder of Stoicism, likely knew Hipparchia, and it is very possible that his own radical conception of the relationship between man and woman, as well as of of the equality of man and of woman in the ideal Stoic Republic, were inspired by seeing the example of Kratos and Hipparchia. Although uh, we know that there were uh, other women who were attracted to the cynic lifestyle and philosophy, Hipparchia is the only woman among the 82 philosophers whose lives and opinions are recounted by Diogenes Lartius' testimony to her lasting influence. Indeed, she became so famous that her native city, allegedly there is no independent confirmation, changed name as testified by a letter attributed to Dionysius of Sinope, the most famous of the Cynics. And there is a quote. You did well when you changed the name of the city and instead of uh, Maroneia called it uh, Hipparchia present name, since it's better for you to be named after Hipparchia, a woman. It's true, but a philosopher than after Morin, a woman who sells wine. Epistle 43. We do not know how she died, but this epigram by Antipada of Sidon uh, may as well have been written on her tomb. I Hipparchia uh, choose not the task of rich woman, but the manly life of the cynic. Brooch claps tunics, well clad shoes, and performed perfumes, headscarves pleased me not. But with Wallace and fellow staff together with course Cloak and bed of hard ground, my name shall be greater than Atlanta or Atalanta, for wisdom is better than mountain running. The message the member of a couple can be equal the message the member of a couple can be equal, devoted to their own pursuits, and yet able to share them with their partner, making the independent mark on the world while at the same time drawing love, support, and comfort from their relationship. This seems to still be, even today, a radical concept, but it is certainly a model I can sign on to. My personal experience, I have never had a relationship of the Kratz uh, Hipparchus type, they were rare even then. And yeah, uh, with that being said, this is going to be the end of the video, uh, thank you very much. I wish you the best, all well, health, happiness, and all success, and also hope that you're going to remind yourself that you're going to be remembered, which basically means your legacy and basically means just being a nice person. And then being remembered as a nice person. Yeah. Um, hope we're going to see you next time. So. Bye bye. Wish you the best. And one question that I have for you as well is. What could you essentially say. To another person that is really indeed going to change their life. What is it? And yeah, with that being said. Hope going to see you the next time. Bye bye.